Hey, really good friends. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. And welcome to Historically Really Good Friends, a spooky queer history podcast. I'm Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblow. And welcome. Welcome to our spooky podcast episode we've got for you today. Our spooky, ooky, kooky episode. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, No, sorry. I mean, it fit in the context of everything else, but wrong. Of of all letters you could have started with. So welcome to the first of two Halloween episodes that we're going to be doing. We are going to have two fun-filled weeks of spooky vibes, spooky ooky vibes, Halloween vibes. We'll do this for kind of every holiday I think we're having, we're planning. Yeah, we didn't get... I think as many opportunities in the spring. I think maybe because the winter time is so dull that they just threw in more holidays. Mm-hmm. But we're very excited to introduce one of the many newer things to to season two is going to be our holiday episodes. Yeah, and we'll we'll each have our own holiday episode. So it'll be two weeks back to back leading up to a holiday. Just to get us in the mood. Get, get us, us ripe and ready to go for Halloween. Right. And for Halloween, we want to feel spooky, ooky, kooky. And so that's what we're going to do. As you could tell by our <laughs> terrifying intro. So scary. I so hope everyone spooky. is okay with right. that. <laughs> Look out. Be careful out there, folks. So. so oh. Wow. We're on the same wavelength, Jerry. What were That's you gonna spooky. Ask? So That's spooky, spooky ooky-wooky. So spooky. Rachel, what were you going to ask me? <laughs> I was going to ask you, because I think we may have had some of this conversation before, but not a lot of it. But I wanted to ask you about Jared Fembla's mm-hmm. Halloween traditions or your family's. Tell me about Halloween traditions, because I love Halloween. I think it's just... It's a fun-filled time. It's a weird holiday that's oh, fake and made up, and uh-huh. so many of them are, but it's so fun. So tell right. me what you do. Well, first off, I would like to say that every holiday is made up. All oh, of them. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. You know, all of them. All of them made had up. to come from somewhere. Halloween and fall in general are, I love Best. the vibes. I love the color mm-hmm. palette. Like, I just love everything <laughs> about fall, especially when I lived back in New Jersey. I loved mm-hmm. when it was getting cool. I loved that the leaves were falling. Yeah, we have seasons. You have <laughs> Right, you have seasons. And fall has always been my favorite. Mm-hmm. For Halloween and, like, fall traditions, I mean, the classic pumpkin patch. Going to a pumpkin classic. patch, picking your own pumpkin carving said pumpkin maybe you know so it can last for like three weeks on your doorstep until a squirrel or a raccoon overtakes it it can just rot there right mold takes a hold yeah and you know what i i have to say about that because you're right pumpkin picking pumpkin carving Mm mm-hmm Great Halloween tradition or mm-hmm. fall tradition. And we would roast the pumpkin seeds. But now, oh. kids these days, stinky uh-huh. kids these days, mm-hmm. just take like little pumpkin razors and just shave the outside. They never had to stick their hand 
in some pumpkin goop. They don't go all the way through? And scoop out those innards. No, they do not, my friend. They do not. Mm, that feels- It is a cop-out. Yeah, that doesn't feel like the- that's not the tradition. That's not what right, that doesn't pumpkin count. carving's about. You are missing out on filling a garbage bag mm-hmm. with the pumpkin, whatever mm-hmm. the heck Guts. is inside of a, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the strainy little, Ugh. Oh. little guys. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, but uh-huh. you're missing out. I love decorating. I don't know about you. I love decorating for Halloween, like early September, oh, mid-September. Yeah. Like I start mm-hmm. early because I'm so tired of the heat in the summer that I just like, mm-hmm. I need my house to smell like bourbon, pumpkin, spice, <laughs> or yeah. cinnamon, mm-hmm. you know, and I need it to look orange. I need <laughs> it to look you're, you're willing fall to happen. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not going to happen outside, it has to happen inside. That's true. That's fair. I, I am the same way. I'm a very like basic Halloween bitch whatever i accept mm-hmm. it like everything about fall though i i tr- i truly do love it gives me so much joy and i do i decorate so early i just wish we had like a bigger a, like i i might just go into debt and buy a house just so i can host a halloween party sure. with more than oh, three people yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. i have so many good halloween party ideas so you know what if you have a house invite i'll throw the party i just need the space to do it okay and so, yeah, I love, I love the decoration. I love the theme. I love, I love it all. Mm-hmm. The smells, the all. sounds, the feels of the movies. Fall. The, oh yes. yeah. And I'm not a scary movie person at all by any means. Don't like them. No, thank you. But Halloween movies, especially like the kids ones, like I watch Twitches probably oh, four great. times a year. So good. Yeah, so good. So I love, I love all of that. It just really is nostalgic in all the best ways. Sure. So I do like horror movies. I would say that's one of my favorite genres. But Mm -hmm. the way I explain it to people is I like scary movies, but I don't like to be scared. Like I don't like- That doesn't make sense. No, I know. I want to watch a scary movie that doesn't have jump scares. I want to watch, you know, more of like a feel, like like a creepy feel. Like I don't want you to like- a clown or like a dead nun to pop up in my face with like a sharp jagged noise like that's just that's not what I want to put myself through like one time we went you and I went to a party of someone in high school and it was like we were watching the conjuring or something outside and and the woods were behind us and someone went into the woods (laughs) and screamed so loud I I don't even know if I slept that night and I was going to tell you that same story because oh, <laughs> if you re- if you recall, no, if you recall from that time, it was the night before my 18th birthday mm-hmm. and I fully tur- put my sweatshirt hood up and turned my back to the movie. I did not watch a single moment of that movie. Oh no, my friend. me neither. We sat on a blanket yes. in, like far away from the movie screen and talked. Why we went, I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. But nonetheless, yeah, I don't like paranormal stuff. You and I, I think, both uh, like The uh, Shining. I, I watch The Shining. Favorite movie. A psycholo- Give me a psychological thing. Yes, yes. I'll take it. No um, paranormal and mm-hmm. nothing jumping out at mm-hmm. me. No dolls. Fuck okay. your dolls. Right. Chucky, goodbye. No. See you later. There was a movie when we were in like elementary school or middle school that was about aliens and the trailer used to play on tv so much that i was so afraid of it 
that I used to wake myself up between the hours of three and four in the morning. Like I would set an alarm, wake up at three o'clock because the whole premise was like aliens come at three o'clock in the morning or whatever. Everything and like, is three o'clock in the morning and in so, scary movies. And so I would wake myself up. I would will myself awake at three o'clock in the morning, sit in my bed with the lights on, stay awake until it was four o'clock when it was like mm. no longer aliens were no longer a threat to me. <laughs> yes, and then I would yes. go back to sleep. And I did this for months. Yeah. Months. Yeah. I I am so sorry to hear that, but I can relate if except sort of the opposite. If I woke up between the hours of three and four in the morning, I'd be like, oh, aliens, it's bad news. Somebody's here. Like Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I I would be like someone's in my room right now, and they woke me up like three to four in the morning was like the witching out like that yes. yes. that for some reason I guess I don't I don't know why but um yeah scary movies were just not my thing my sister and I shared a room growing up she would have to face <laughs> in her bed face towards the door and I would face mm-hmm. the other way towards the window so we mm-hmm. had all areas covered <laughs> and smart one time we watched E.T. maybe a little too early in our mm-hmm. adolescence. And so now I can never watch E.T. again. But we lost something under our dresser. And I was so scared E.T. was under there and was going to throw the ball. Like, like you know how in that one scene, uh-huh. he like Out of pushes the shed it. Or whatever. I, yes, yeah. I thought he was going to like push it under the dresser. So I would never look under my dress. And we lost that forever. Sure. Well, until we moved to the dresser, but forever. <laughs> what about scary stories? No. Okay, no. so there was one, right? There's one story. Don't tell me one. Okay. Sorry, it was, it's the one about the guy that's this, pretending to be a statue in the house of the babysitter. <gasps> no, I don't want to hear that. Okay, and the parents are like, because, who? No, we don't have a statue. Because, oh, yes. I you know that one? That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm very gullible, and I think those are all real. Like the headlight one, you know? Oh, with the person in the back of the car? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the yes. one with where the hands over the bed and it's like the dog is licking it or whatever, which yes, is just like yes. some kinky guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And now I, I literally still think about those things, like, yeah. like as if they're real. Sure. They're not real. Sure. But as if they are real. They could be. Yeah, I, I guess. But you know, I stop. Okay. Just no, see, I can't think about see, it. See, oh my gosh, we're getting into the ooky spooky season and yes. getting too nervous, getting too scared. We getting like way too scared. You and I are very vanilla twitches, Halloween Town High. Yeah, hocus pocus. Hocus pocus. Bubble bubble toil and no. Double double yeah. toil and trouble, whatever it is. Double bubble bubble hubba bubba. Hubba bubble <laughs> bubble. What is it? Double D- Double, double. Tw- well, no, because that's a that's a it's Shakespeare. It's Macbeth, sure. Scottish play. Sure, sure, sure. Go spin around the door three times. Ooh. It's it's the beginning of Macbeth. So I don't remember that. But what's one hocus is, pocus? Don't hocus they say that hocus is double, double? Not because bubble, bubble. I don't think I don't think Shakespeare said double, double. Mm, I guess we'll never know. Maybe okay. I don't. Yeah, I guess we will never know. Ugh. Sorry about that. Correct us. Okay. Feel free to correct us. Or don't. Whatever. But this week I am talking about a movie that is not vanilla, but also not super scary. I mm-hmm. guess depending on how you define scary. scary. Okay. So are you ready to talk about it? Sure. What are we talking we about this into week? It? Yeah, of course. We are going to talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. This is a great topic. I am like very eager to talk through this one with you because it took me down. I I guess once I started reading about it, I was like, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But I really Mm -hmm. was down some 
some roots, some rabbit holes that I was not expecting. You weren't prepared for. I was not, but I thought this was a fitting topic since we are full-blown in the spooky season, Mm -hmm. um, and many of us are seeing ads for Rocky Horror showings at a theater near you, or maybe you've been to one this year already. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But the movie and Halloween itself has a lot of roots in queer history, and the movie in particular is sort of a staple for queer folks young and old. Yeah. As a watcher of the Rocky Horror Picture Show myself, which have you seen it? You've seen it, yeah? Yeah, I've seen it a few. I've been to a showing. I've seen it. Like an interactive one, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was one of the highlights actually of like one of the more positive parts of my COVID experience because actually another sort of Halloween fact, the Adams family, like creator, Mm -hmm. is from New Jersey. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in that town, they have like a whole Halloween thing. And they did Rocky Horror like as a drive through movie experience during oh, COVID. Oh, fun. Which was really That a makes bright... it less intimidating. Yes. And it, yeah, it was, and it was my first time watching it. So I didn't have to like know all of the sort of like lore around it mm-hmm. as we will get into. So I, I, I always had this affinity for it. I've seen references to it and then seeing it and watching it myself. You've seen it quite a few times. But as I was thinking about topics, I was doing some research and it was a writer for Onstage Blog that asked some hard-hitting questions in an article that sort of led me to dive deeper into this topic. And some of their thoughts were, is Frankenfurter to be looked at with admiration for being a bold and queer character? Or should we question the movie's creators for equating queer characters as aliens and artificial science experiments? Do we celebrate Frankenfurter for being so confident in his sexuality? Or do we hold him accountable for his abuse towards Brad, Janet, and basically everyone else? Hmm. Is Sweet Transvestite performed by Frankenfurter an empowering reclamation of the derogatory term? Or did the song just age poorly? Hmm. And so I kind of wanted to explore some of those themes and see what we can come up with and reconcile with for such a queer cult classic movie. Yeah, those are some great questions that I don't think I've thought about before. That's what I mean. So as I sort of did my research, I was like, this would be a great topic. And Mm -hmm. then there was a lot of differing opinions. And as I sort of read into it, they really did start to make more sense. But I do sort of want to talk about a lot of different sides of this story. So the sources that will hopefully help me to do that include Gently Ripping Apart the Rocky Horror Picture Show by Alex Mel Taylor for Medium, the same onstage blog article mentioned above, which is titled The Rocky Horror Picture Show, A Timeless Cult Classic or Outdated Jab to the Queer Community, The Blurring of Sexual and Consent Boundaries in Rocky Horror Picture Show by Lindsay King Miller for them, An Incluvi article titled Why the Queer Community Loves the Rocky Horror Picture Show by Jimmy J. And then How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Rocky Horror Picture Show Again, published by Alice Collins on Bloody Disgusting. Mm. So I want to give a content warning up front, but if anything specific comes up, I'll be sure to remind folks then. But just content warning for transphobia and transmedicalism, as well as some mentions of sexual violence. So as we start this conversation, I want to preface with a couple of things. To start, 
I love Tim Curry. Mm. How do you feel about Tim Curry? As a fan of horror movies, I feel like you've got to have an opinion. See, my knowledge of Tim Curry is very limited. And I feel Mm -hmm. like the things that I've seen him in, I've liked. Yeah. The entire projects as a whole, Mm -hmm. I've generally liked. Okay. So, you know what? That's a great point. I will amend that to I love Tim Curry characters. Right. Right. Okay. Specifically Rooster and Annie. Yeah. Oh. One of the best. Yeah. He is yes. the rooster. Like so, right. that character. So yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's him and Bernadette Peters in like, mm-hmm. I think the 1991 Annie. Yes. Fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. And what's yes. her name? The comedian. Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett is Miss Hannigan. The 1982 version. 1982. Very good. So good. So, so Tim Curry characters I do love. Mm-hmm. And like we've mentioned, I've enjoyed a Rocky Horror showing. Jared has enjoyed a Rocky Horror showing. I just truly find the discourse around this specific movie to be fascinating and nuanced and important going forward. There is up front, there's no right or wrong here on the podcast or in this episode. And this isn't going to be an extension of whatever people think cancel culture is. (laughs) Like, that's not the point. The only thing we're going to cancel here today is the Glee version of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wait. Before no, before you take that stance, Rachel Jean Craig. What? I thoroughly enjoy parts of the Glee version of Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I will admit here on the interwebs, mm-hmm. cementing this forever, that I do have it saved on my Spotify. Okay, so let me tell you, okay. I th- I do as well have some Glee versions saved on my Spotify. I'm not ashamed to admit it. No, no, no. Not Glee versions in general. I only have the Glee version of Rocky Horror okay. Picture Show okay. on my phone. I just think this can be a larger conversation about like the creepiness of the adult teachers oh, to students 1000%. in the show. And that's why I'm going to cancel Rocky Horror, the Glee version. You but can't we... cancel Mercedes. Sorry. I will never, uh, no, I will never, we'll, we'll cancel Mr. Shu as a character again. Yes, from like the first second he is shown on screen in yes. the first episode. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all like, right. So him. we're on the same page there. Jail so Mr. That's, Schuster. That's what we can agree to cancel in this sure. episode. Everything else is just meant to be a conversation. <laughs> so this is just sort of like a Halloween controversy about a Halloween movie that is of deep interest to me. Mm-hmm. And so I hope you all get something out of it as well. Maybe friends, we'll see, <laughs> hopefully. So the Rocky Horror Picture Show debuted first on stage in 1973 with music, book, and lyrics all by Richard O'Brien. So Richard O'Brien would also go on to star as Riff Raff in the movie when it aired in 1975. So it was first like a stage production, mm-hmm. then the movie that is a, probably more well known. So the movie version, which again is what fans may most often think of, stars Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, Susan Sarandon, and Barry Boswick, which I don't know if that person is still famous, but Tim Curry and Susan Sarandon really are. Yeah. Sorry so to that man. That, I don't yeah, know that man. He's billed very high still, and it's like starring Barry Boswick. I don't know who you are. I'm very sorry. No. Your Brad was fantastic, though. Gorgeous, yes. So the movie is classified as a musical comedy horror film parodying 1950s science fiction movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, girly, you're doing so much. Mm-hmm. You're doing so much. Multifaceted. Yes, we off. love it. Mm-hmm. Go off. Mm-hmm. 
Many people may recognize the signature red lips from the opening of the movie, which set the stage for Wonder Bread straight couple Janet and Brad, who are stranded with a flat tire on a rainy night, which classic. They wander over to the creepiest house in the middle of nowhere where they're greeted by our cast of Transylvanian characters, led by Dr. Frankenfurter, who introduces himself through the song Sweet Transvestite. During the movie, Dr. Frank creates a Frankenstein's monster himself called Rocky. Through a series of rather unfortunate events, someone is killed, Frank seduces slash coerces Brad and Janet into sex with him, Janet sleeps with Rocky, there's accidental cannibalism, Frank gets killed by his own guests, and Janet, Brad, and another human visitor escape. Mm-hmm. Sort of a quick rundown for those who Great haven't overview. seen it. Thank you. And reading that all out loud probably makes little to no sense if you haven't seen the movie or musical. It makes little to no sense having seen it. That's true. It's also, just to throw in the mix, there's a lot of singing and dancing. There's cross-dressing and mm-hmm. gender and sexual fluidity depictions mm-hmm. and expressions just sort of all over the place. Mm-hmm. This mishmash of things all under the guise of parody almost make it seem so welcome so freeing and so inclusive this is why after its initial box office flop the rocky horror picture show became a cult classic among the queer community the movie to this day is shown at midnight screenings often well attended by participants who dress as the characters and interact with the movie And for those younger viewers who may not have seen the movie, but have seen Perks of Being a Wallflower, this is what Charlie and all of his friends are participating in. Um, They do a version themselves. But anyway, these sort of interactions with the screen, with the characters, Mm -hmm. with the movie, has allowed people a safe space to explore makeup, identity, and expression without needing a justification to anyone outside of that theater and that moment. Mm -hmm. so i like i said i saw this through like a drive-in setting so i haven't i said drive-through before i meant drive-in theater (laughs) drive-through drive-through slow two (laughs) miles per hour cruise past the screen caught a glimpse of it i saw i saw two minutes of the movie (laughs) and then got out of there (laughs) so because that was my viewing experience Uh i never like participated in it but have you participated in like a i have yeah I, I had a friend in college, um, just the one. I had one friend in college. <laughs> one single friend. Yeah, I had I had a friend in college who wanted to go for her birthday. And so we went to the Newark mm. Theater in Los Angeles. We all dressed up. I dressed as Frankenfurter. And we went and we were in person. We went to the theater. We all rushed in basically after getting v's written on us in lipstick which stands for Mm -hmm. virgin meaning you've never been to a showing before Mm -hmm. i also got the c word written across my forehead which was exciting (laughs) and um and then you go in and you watch it and it almost if you don't know all the all of the little quips and Mm -hmm. and sayings and and actions and things like that responses it almost becomes not fun because you're trying to follow the movie people are yelling things at the screen they're doing all of these things and you're sitting there like what the hell is happening so if you know if you know all of the little responses and things it is fun but when i went it was like my first or second time seeing the movie and i was like I don't know what I'm watching. So I was like dressed like Frankenfurt or sitting in the audience <laughs> with zero clue about what was going on. 
there's so much pressure and that's why I was relieved that I wasn't having that experience. It's almost like if there are any like ex-Christian or Christian listeners out there, when they change, or Catholic, I should say, when they changed the responses you say in church and then I went back to church and this is a John Mulaney bit too, but it's true. You don't know what the call and responses are anymore. And that's sort of the same format of the movie. Like when certain things happen in the movie, you're supposed to respond a specific way. And if you don't know, it's just kind of like you're the odd person out. Mm -hmm. And then it makes it really uncomfortable. Yes, yes. And so I'm glad that I could just like watch the movie because otherwise I would have had to fully practice beforehand. Yeah. Like in my room by myself. (laughs) It's an experience. If you have the opportunity to go, I would say go, but definitely study up before you go. Maybe watch the movie once before you go. Or go with other people who don't know. So at least you're in it together. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Up to you. Go down with that sinking ship. Yes. So sort of knowing all of that context and like what the movie's about and that it's sort of like a lot of things happening all at once. I want to also kind of couch this in the time period that it was originally released and like why it sort of rose to prominence as this queer classic. In 1973 London, where the musical, like the stage performance originally premiered, and the US, acceptance towards queer people was still meek at best and Same-sex marriage, as we know, wouldn't be legalized in either place for more than three decades from this original release. The Rocky Horror Picture Show included queer performers and gave room for queer people to see themselves on screen, even for the fleeting time that the movie took place, and even if they couldn't do that outside of the theater. It depicted confidence in gender fluidity, enjoyment of sex and sexuality, and all of this were things that were rarely seen and could be argued that they're still rarely seen today on the big screen. Larry Weisel, president of the Rocky Horror Picture Show official fan club, told the BBC, quote, I know of a lot of people whose lives were saved by this movie, especially those in the LGBT community. It's a place where they could be themselves and find people who were their family. I don't want to give that up. I want people to still have a place to be, unquote. Alice Collins in Bloody Disgusting also shares, quote, the first depiction of a trans person I ever saw was Frank. I never thought they were freaky or weird. They looked like fun, and I enjoyed that they didn't care what anyone else thought and how they were unabashedly themselves. I thought it was so cool and wanted to be like that, giving zero cares as to what anyone thought of me. It gave me strength to grow a thicker skin and try more things out of the ordinary. I looked up to Frank. For the longest time before seeing the movie, I'd always wished I could switch between gender at will, and it was really cool to see someone who could at least, on the surface, do so before my eyes. Hmm. The original cast of the movie also gave a platform to queer performers like writer and actor Richard O'Brien, something that was, and still again to an extent, virtually unheard of. Many people in the queer community, though, have also felt excluded, isolated, and even demonized quite literally by the movie. The idea still persists in our culture that queer people, specifically trans people, are sexual deviants, pedophiles, and because of these inherent characteristics, cannot be welcomed with the rest of society. So if you really think about some conversations we've had today, it really does boil down to these core ideas that trans people specifically shouldn't be trusted with children or Mm -hmm. really in public at all because of this sort of sexual or otherwise cultural deviancy. Mm -hmm. This trope definitely existed at the time also. It's obviously not something new. And while Richard O'Brien, so again, the writer and one of the main characters, 
identifies as non-binary and gender non-conforming himself, he has in the past made comments about trans people not ever being able to be authentic women or men. And I'm not going to share his quote exactly. It's out there if you want to read it, but I think that it's pretty offensive, so I'm not going to share it. This idea, along with the positive expressions of queerness, certainly exists in O'Brien's writing. So you can kind of reflect on his own experience or their own experience that were included in the movie. But there are also these themes that kind of continue on about trans people or non-binary people. Mm -hmm. Another aside too, Richard O'Brien played Ferb's dad in the Rachel Craig cult classic TV show, Phineas and Ferb. The Brit- he was the British dad? Yeah, Lawrence. Mm-hmm. I would say that's the the two different ends of the spectrum. Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show and Phineas and Ferb. So I would call that it range. It, truly, truly, uh-huh. truly. They mm-hmm. are showing up. They are doing the work. Right, right, right. Really putting in, putting in the work to, to prove that, you know, queer people can be all a chameleon you know all of these different things yes absolutely and so so i think you know richard o'brien definitely opened the doors for a lot of queer representation within Mm -hmm. this and i can never question their experience in writing this and and Mm -hmm. that that coming from a really authentic place although you know like reflecting back on it all these years later it can you know continue to perpetrate some of these harmful themes which is some go ahead sorry which it's tough because it's almost as if the movie feels like an inside thing for queer people Mm -hmm. so it's like you we have this movie and we're able to see a movie that's not just you know about a queer person getting attacked or beaten or killed Mm -hmm. or heartbroken or you know it's not one of these trope filled movies like it's it feels almost like this new thing. It, it's like, it almost feels revolutionary or like freeing mm-hmm. to be able to watch a movie and be like, oh, it's not one of X, Y, or Z, but it's this totally wild yeah. sci-fi musical movie. Like it's so amazing. But then at the same time, people that are not in the community are seeing it and are mm-hmm. perpetrating these, you know, stereotypes that specific queer people like trans people are, predators or you know whatever the Mm -hmm. the stereotype is so there it definitely is like a it is so impactful in the queer community Mm -hmm. but then when it gets in the hands of the wrong people they will never truly understand yes what it means and it has different implications by those that are seeing it that are outside of the queer community absolutely and you said it's campy that's why Mm -hmm. it's such a classic and that's why queer people can see themselves in it and identify so much with it Mm -hmm. but then And no one could have predicted the way we would all be connected, especially through social media and the internet, and how that really changed who can consume what, when, and then how they interpret that. And we talk about that in a little bit as well. But this specific representation and, and the themes that are throughout the movie, some queer people feel that it targets them directly and reinforces those dangerous beliefs that we were talking about, about trans and non-binary people. This deviancy is especially relevant in the way sex, consent, and coercion are tackled in the film. Frank coerces Brad into sex by pretending he's Janet, and though Brad has a seeming sexual awakening after sleeping with Frank, the sex was not consensual, but it was not really made to seem that way. Mm -hmm. A lot of people mention this as like, 
it's really freeing to see Brad come to terms with his own sexuality in this way. And that part is true. But the way that it happened could also be a little icky and represent Frank, who is sort of this like cross-dressing, as Uh he says, transvestite in this show or in the movie doesn't really reflect very well. Right. Because then, like we were saying, the people that see it that you know, maybe don't have a clue about the queer community, take it and say, oh, this is exactly what all non-binary people are. This is what all trans people are like. They are all, they can, they're deceitful and they're, you know, coercing people and they're doing all of these things. And it's like, that's not what, just because Frankfurter is a villain because they are a bad person. Like the character Mm -hmm. is an evil character. Right. He's a mad scientist. It's meant to be that way. Right. So it, but then it comes off as Frankfurter is this is what all a predator Mm -hmm. and this is what all trans people are like exactly and it's not the only time that it happens so it also happens with janet so frank disguises himself this time as brad in an attempt to have sex with janet she ultimately realizes what's going on Mm -hmm. after frank sort of begins to have sex with her and that's still gross yeah but again Frank's kind of charming and he is just this like mad scientist type and it's all sort of disguised in this way that it's not a bad thing. Also, Rocky, this sort of Frankenstein's monster of this whole thing, has a limited cognitive capacity. They mention that he's half human, which is the person that they killed is like half of his brain. Right. So like I said, he's technically half human. He's very childlike and is seven hours old, as they also mention right, right, right. in the thing. And of course, this is all hyperbolic, like it's an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. But he is the object of sexual desire throughout his time in the movie, furthering this sort of unconsensual and deviant narrative. And again, I don't think anyone's taking it literally. But when we translate that into today, where we talk about trans people being groomers in some way, that can really like reinforce that to people who can't make the connection that this is a movie. Right, right, right. And it's more so that the consciousness of of Rocky is seven hours mm-hmm. old. The body is of a grown man. It's it, the body is like a man, man that is like buff and like yes. very much an adult. But then people are like, well, he was just born or whatever. And then it becomes this whole thing, like you're saying about being a predator. and Right, right. And sort of like creating something just for an object of sexual desire. And so I want to be again, fair and sort of, couch this in the time period that consent was understood way differently in the 70s Mm -hmm. than today like marital assault was still legal but i still think that this movie is pretty egregious in its depictions of sexual assault Mm -hmm. but like we were saying it's also papered over by the fact that frank is fun and charming and unhateable like he like he's the villain of the movie well actually that's debatable he is a villain (laughs) in the movie but he's not a hateable one. He's a likable character. Not right. The depictions of sexual violence don't stop on screen, though. When the performers and audience members interact with the movie, there is a part where there's a call for the sacrifice of virgins. Jared, as you were saying, virgins not necessarily meaning sexual. It's people who haven't seen the movie before. But oftentimes in this environment, young or underage People are forced on stage to remove some of their clothes, kiss other of these virgins, and be touched by strangers, all without really giving their consent. So again, Jared, like, you sort of checked in ahead of time, but if you didn't know what was going on, 
you may have like been coerced into doing this thing now. Right. And in the beginning of the show, they do that. Like they'll call all of the people that Mm -hmm. are new there up onto stage and have you do contests and have you do all Mm -hmm. of these things. And it is very like, it's very uh, touch and go with like, what are you about to do right now? It's not like you're consenting. It's just like up on the stage, let's go. Exactly. And it's really difficult to even say I consent for anyone in this audience to touch me or ask me to do something like even if there was a more consensual process, I think it would be really difficult to be like, yeah, I can stand up here and sort of without knowing what's going to come next, agree that I'm cool with it all. Like that's not how that's not how our understanding of consent works. Mm -hmm. That's not what consent is. No. Now, all is not for naught. Is that the expression? All is not for naught. All is not for all. Whatever. Okay. There's things that we can do. Okay. <laughs> there are always ways to improve and further ensure that Rocky Horror remains a cult classic. Because mm-hmm. again, we're not fucking canceling anything. Mm-hmm. Jackson Tory Bart says that Rocky Horror allowed them to explore gender and queer identity, but in performances felt dismissed by cis straight men who invalidated those experiences and often would perform alongside him in roles that were meant for queer people. Mm-hmm. So casting queer people and including them in your productions is vital to ensure the integrity and safety of the shows. So that's mm-hmm. one thing to sort of think about going forward. Some couples who are working on productions of Rocky Horror currently, and these productions that often interact with audience members, say, quote, they recently rewrote their bylaws to include a detailed definition of sexual harassment, including unwanted touching, repeated requests for dates following a refusal, and non-consensual sharing of nudes or sexual photographs and videos. The cast is also conscientious about giving virgins a chance to opt out of being sacrificed and making sure that attendees under the age of consent aren't treated in a sexual manner, Mm. unquote. If you've made it this far, I do sincerely appreciate it. And I will say that Alice Collins offers a great TLDR for this whole episode (laughs) by sharing, quote, queer stories are regularly told through the lens of horror to help people who don't live that experience to understand the horror inherent within common situations. It lives in the lives of many queer people who can't talk to their parents because they're afraid of being kicked out and made homeless. It lives in the real fear of being scared to hold hands or show affection in public. It lives in being scared to dress as yourself when you feel you don't pass. At least within the text of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, there is one of the more positive messages regarding your queerness or your transness than in any other genres. And that comes from a song near the end of the film during the floor show that says, don't dream it, be it. I took that to heart and now here I am, unquote. So... The reason this conversation is nuanced is because viewing the movie or the stage adaptation, being a part of the cast or dressing up as the characters seems to have been a pretty positive experience for many queer people. But to people outside of that audience, it furthers dangerous tropes of deviancy and fear. It is what, if you're familiar with this horrible excuse for a person, Matt Walsh, wants people to think about women and trans people. And in that way, it creates a problem for our present day. If Rocky Horror existed in a vacuum where people could not offer commentary or create a narrative and then cement that narrative of what it means to be trans or non-binary or gender fluid, great. Mm. Unfortunately, our media literacy skills are the real deviants here because Mm -hmm. our little monster brains, 
spooky. Mm -hmm. We're not meant to watch and process TV and movies and all this other media that we do consume. So we do create narrative and tropes about the world through the movies that we see. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say we can't or shouldn't still enjoy Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hopefully we can make some of those changes to the performances and be sure to view it with a critical lens and encourage other people in your life who are not as savvy as I know all of you are to do the same. Ultimately, this is a piece of entertainment, and I do sincerely hope many of you have felt seen and comforted by that entertainment, but it cannot be held as the standard or the model of queer media and entertainment because that is a double-edged sword that is often weaponized by transphobic people across the globe. The dammit Janets of the world don't deserve to enjoy Rocky Horror, but I do hope all of you do this holiday season. Hmm. Agreed. I think it's very important that we are making all of these changes to create a safe viewing environment for Rocky Horror and that we're making all of these changes for it to be accessible and fun and Mm -hmm. not, you know, any sort of uncomfortable or non-consensual environments. And I think in doing that, it's going to create a better audience experience, a better Mm -hmm. perception of the film or of the event of seeing Rocky Horror. I also think that it's important that when we talk about Rocky Horror to people that are not in the queer community or don't fully understand it, especially the first time or two that you see it, you may be like, what the hell is this? You know, not everybody is a film student and takes a film analysis (laughs) class. So a lot of people are seeing a movie one time and being like, didn't like it, never watching (laughs) it again, didn't understand it, you know, all these things. So they're taking Mm -hmm. away just what they're seeing at face value, which is definitely not the case of Rocky Horror, like not what should be happening. There's so much that needs to be understood about the history and the context and everything that you were talking about to understand the fun experience of it. Yes. And it can be fun. And I hope it is fun. Like, please still enjoy it. It's just that there are annoying people who will take it out of context as a representation. And and we can't avoid that. So we just want to do what we can to make sure that's not the case for some of the most marginalized people that are impacted by shit like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, I don't think the movie itself is bad. I think that what people have done with it is bad that's my take i guess i don't know i don't really have that much of an opinion i think it's fun yeah and i like when it confuses people like you said i like when people watch it and they're like what the fuck what the fuck whenever (laughs) whenever i watch it and it gets to that one scene where frankenfurter is in the pool Mm -hmm. i'm always like this has to be the end right and then somehow (laughs) it keeps going and i'm like what is going at that point i'm like wait what there have been so many left turns in this film i'm like i can't even I cannot follow where we are right now no it is wild but it is somehow like the best experience ever it is that's, an it's an experience trip. yeah 1, it's like a whole it's not like watching any other movie and like you said no. I think I've seen it multiple times too and I'm like I don't know what the fuck right. I don't know but it's fun and you want to keep watching it and for some reason it feels good right uh real quick before we wrap up who is your favorite character and what is your favorite song I don't know if I know the names. The touch me one is obviously touch, a good touch, one. I think that's a fun. Me. That's a fun one. Everybody knows the time. Let's do the time warp again. I don't know. It's fine. Let's it's fine. That's not my favorite. Time warp again. Yeah. That's not my favorite. I would say. Um, I like Brad. I think he's like he's kind of like bumbling uh-huh. around a lot, and Damn I, I enjoy that. Um, yeah, I enjoy that. I think he kind of 
Doesn't he kind of get a little mean, though, about the whole situation? All of them do. Everyone turns sour at some point. Yeah, they do. So I like begin- I like early Brad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's your favorite song? I have to go- Now I have to go back and listen to all the songs. Mine is- Okay, so I don't think it's even listed in the, like, original soundtrack, mm-hmm. but it's Planet Schmanet Janet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he calls, there was- he calls her a pencil in it. You're essential yeah. as a pencil as a pencil. And it's I think maybe my favorite line ever in in it's like mean, but it's, it's so clever. It's a great yes, song. I know what you're talking about. Some of the songs I think there are like some of the songs were cut from US releases. Some yeah. of the songs were like exclusive to the plays and like there's different music and different things. But I do know what you're talking about. It's it's a great song. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's my so favorite great. character is maybe Magenta. Yes. I yeah. feel like she's really fun. Is she one of is she one of the one that makes it makes it back? Yes, to I think Transylvania. So. Uh, yes, she she's yes. with Riffraff, right? Yes. she killed. She they're, does the. They're, they're brother the movie's and like sister. forty years old. Whatever. Yeah, brother and, and sister, kill, but also like lovers. they kill them at the end. Yeah, yeah. there's like some incest. Because well, they're aliens. There. They're they're aliens. So I don't know if I mean, incest exists for aliens. Well, yeah. See, this is the thing. It's the <laughs> themes in the movie that are like problematic when you say them out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not pro alien incest, folks, but like, well, it just seems normal when you watch the movie. It makes sense. But this is what we mean. This is yeah. why the movie <laughs> keeps you engaged, even though this is the subject matter. Yeah. yeah. Let's do the time warp again, truly. Yeah. Let's do the time warp again. And uh... we'll see you next week. But I hope in the meantime, you watch some Rocky Horror and. And tell us if you've had any thoughts or like positive or negative experience. I hope you haven't had negative experience, but I do want to hear more about this. um, If any of you have any thoughts. If you have a Rocky Horror Picture Show experience story, Mm -hmm. write it in to us at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com. Maybe if we got some, we can read them out. Mm. Let us know. We'd love to hear them. Let us know. All righty. Thanks for tuning in to episode 34 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about the impact of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes scooping pumpkin guts a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. To see photos from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at Historically Really. Make sure to send us your personal stories at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com. We hope to see you again next week. Ooh, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>